Well, we are into our third week of our study of the book of Daniel. Uh, We spent our first week looking at the historical background of the first couple of verses in chapter 1. Then we looked at the stand for God that Daniel took in chapter 1, the choices that he made that set the course of his entire life. His choices charted the path for his life for the next 60 years, representing God in a godless society, representing God in a godless government, standing for God's truth in a wicked environment filled with idolatry. And God used Daniel in remarkable ways over a period of 60 years, I believe, because of the choices that he made as a teenager. They set the course of his entire life. And if you were with us a couple of weeks ago when we looked at what Daniel did there in Daniel chapter 1, you got to remember he was a teenager when this was happening. He was like 15, 16, 17 years old when he was making these incredible choices to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And those choices set the course for his entire life. And we offered, a couple of weeks ago, we offered a strategy for living for God when we are surrounded by evil. And that was to draw your line, to quietly resist, to respectfully offer an alternative by your lifestyle choices as well as by your words, and then trust the sovereignty of God. Draw your line, quietly resist, respectfully offer an alternative, and trust the sovereignty of God. That is how you stand for the Lord Jesus. That is how you shine the light of the gospel in a dark world. That is how you represent God's truth in a confused, messed up culture. That's what you do when you are surrounded by evil. You draw your line, you quietly resist, you offer a godly, righteous alternative by the way that you live, and then you trust the sovereignty of God. Last Sunday, as most of you know, we were traveling out of state. We heard a wonderful message last Sunday morning. It was not a TV message or a radio message. It was a live Sunday church message. We make every effort to be in church on Sunday, regardless of where we are geographically. And, uh, and we, heard a, we heard a wonderful message last Sunday morning that got, that got me thinking about a number of issues related to Daniel and his understanding of the judgment of God. Remember that Daniel lived through God's judgment on the nation of Israel. God chose to preserve his life and to use him in remarkable ways. But Daniel lived through some horrifying trauma during God's national judgment of Israel. And I said to you a few weeks ago when we were examining this issue that that the, the only remedy to avoid the judgment of God is repentance. That's true on a personal level. That's true on a national level. And I want to share with you this morning some fascinating passages of Scripture that kind of lay the foundation for understanding Daniel's life and one of his amazing responses to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so in order to do that, we want to first of all, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus in chapter 26. You may be familiar with this passage, you may not. You're going to be in a minute because we're going to read a section of it, but Leviticus chapter 26. The book of Leviticus, if you're wondering where Leviticus is, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So third book in the Old Testament. Leviticus was written at the beginning 
of the 40-year wilderness experience for the children of Israel. When they left Egypt and they went out, were going to go into the promised land, and they could not go into the promised land, or they would not go into the promised land because of their own unbelief, then God said, I'm going to let this entire generation die in the wilderness. You're going to wander around, every, every adult man from age 20 on up, except for Moses and Joshua and Caleb. Every other adult man over the age of 20, I'm going, to, I'm going to wait for them to pass away. And then, when I have a whole new generation, we're going to try again. And we're going to go into the promised land. And so for the next 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. If you look at a map and read through uh, the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and so forth, they basically just made a great big circle. They came around every year to the same place where they camped last year at the same time. And they made a big circle for 40 years. And so when, when Leviticus, when this passage that we're going to read was expressed to the children of Israel, they were at the very beginning of that 40 years. We're not going to read all of the 46 verses in this chapter. I will leave that to you to read and study on your own time. But I want you to see the progression or the stages of judgment that God says He's going to do to the nation if they rebel against Him. We'll have a somewhat lengthy reading in this chapter and another one that we're going to look at, but we really need to see this, and the only way to do it is to read these larger chunks. So if you have your place there in Leviticus 26, let's begin to read in verse 1. You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last until the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in the land safely. If you're not familiar with the farming aspects of the threshing to the vintage to the sowing and eating your bread to the full, God just basically saying you're going to have tons of stuff to eat. And you're never going to run out. That's basically what he's saying with all of that. There's never going to be, oh boy, we got one more month before harvest and I'm out of food. God said, not going to happen. Verse 6, I will give peace in the land. You will lie down, none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies. They will fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you. My soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God. You shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments... And if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I will do this to you. I'll appoint terror, wasting disease, fever. You'll sow your seed in vain, your enemies will eat it. Set my face against you, he says in verse 17. Those who hate you will reign over you. Verse 18, and after all this, if you do not obey me, 
then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And he lists what he's going to do there. Then in verse 21, Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. And he tells what those things are going to be. Then in verse 23, he says, And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. Wow, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Look down at verse 27. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Wow, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Then look at verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, I will remember the land. I want you to just think about what God is saying here in all these things. He says, if you obey me, if you will do what I say, he said, I will open the windows of heaven. I will pour out blessings on you. Your crops are going to go. I mean, everything's going to be going well. You'll, you'll have peace in the land. It'll be great. But he said, if you don't obey me, if you abhor my statutes, if you ignore me, if you pretend like I'm not here, if you, if you don't give me glory for this, and, 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 you, and you just turn your back on me, then he said, I'm going to do this. And in, in verse 18, he said, and, 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 if, and that, if that doesn't help, I'm going to do it seven times more. And in verse 21, he says, and if that didn't help, I'm going to do it seven times more. And in verse 24, he says, and if, and if that hasn't helped, then I'm going to do it seven times more. Verse 28, he says, I'm going to chastise you seven times more in fury, leading to total desolation. And it, we didn't read all of the scriptures for the sake of time, but if you read that whole chapter, you see that God acts, absolutely prophesies the 70-year captivity. He said, because if you don't keep my Sabbaths, he said, I'm going to wipe out the land, and, and the land is going to have to rest and get its Sabbaths for 70 years until everything is taken care of. And I thought, wow, that's kind of fascinating that God, knowing what Israel was going to do, prophesied here in this passage the 70-year captivity a thousand years before it happened. And he said, he gave them five progressive stages of judgment if they don't repent. And if they would just repent, it can all change. But if they wouldn't repent, then God said it's going to just keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I'm going to strike you seven times harder. And then if that doesn't work, I'll strike you seven times harder. And if that doesn't work, I'll strike you seven times harder in fury. And you see five different stages of God's judgment. And you know, as I was reading through that, I wasn't, I mean, I was kind of wowed by the judgments God was going to put on Israel. But I was also struck by the grace and mercy and restraint and long-suffering and patience of God. I was also struck by the love of God and His unending desire for the good of His people. He doesn't just wipe them off the face of the earth for their wickedness. 
He offers them chance after chance after chance to repent. You know, God waits sometimes for years. Sometimes God waits for decades. Sometimes in the case of the nation of Israel and probably some other nations as well, sometimes God waits for centuries using chastisement to bring them back to Him. But there are stages of God's judgment. He offers the opportunity to repent and things just keep getting worse if we don't. Now this is specifically God's word to the nation of Israel, but don't forget that passage in the book of Genesis. It's in Genesis 15. We won't read it today, but you can read it sometime if you want to see it, where God is speaking to Abraham in Genesis 15, and he tells him that his descendants will come back to the land where Abraham was then living, and they would dispossess the Amorites in about 400 years, and he would, they would take the land from them because God said about the Amorites... He said, their iniquity is not yet full. What he meant by that was, they're wicked people, they're sinful people, they're doing all kinds of terrible things, they're offering their children as sacrifices to false gods. They, I mean, every horrible thing you can think of, the Amorites were doing. And yet God says, Abraham, I'm going to wait 400 more years because the cup of my wrath isn't quite full yet. I mean, it's an amazing statement of the grace and mercy and long-suffering and patience of God. And then remember that, uh, that passage in the book of Revelation, several places, where that word picture is there of the cup and the bowl of sin. And, and the cup of God's wrath being full and then being poured out on the earth. The seven bowl judgments there at the end of those series of three sevens, uh, 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 different kinds of judgments. So it is kind of food for thought that, that God in his mercy and grace and his patience and his long suffering keeps waiting, keeps offering people opportunities to repent, keeps bringing chastisement and punishment to certain nations, certain places, waiting for the cup of his wrath to be full. And finally it is. And finally God says, OK, that's enough. I've had it. I've been waiting for hundreds of years. So we have these progression, these stages of national judgment as God offers the opportunity for repentance. That's what God said he would do to Israel. Now I want to fast forward 40 years from Leviticus 20, 26 to Deuteronomy 27. Or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 28. Just go one, one chapter over. Deuteronomy 28. This is near the end of the 40-year wilderness experience. Again, this is a very long chapter, 68 verses. We're not going to read all of it, just going to read a, 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 few, a few portions of it. And this is a reminder by Moses to the new generation. Because now we're at the end of the 40 years. And, and there's nobody left of the adult men of that generation of the children of Israel except for Moses and Caleb and Joshua. Every other man of that generation had, had passed away. This is all new people. This is all new men. And, and so this is, this is God's reminder through Moses to the new generation about national judgment if they do not obey the Lord and walk in His ways. We need to see the seriousness of sin and the severity of God's judgment if there is no repentance. So let's look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. 
Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of the ground and of the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come out and blessed shall you be when you go, uh, sorry, when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. If you didn't catch it, the word blessed is in there a bunch of times. Bless, 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 bless. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. If you keep his com- the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways... Then all the peoples of the earth shall see you are called by the name of the Lord. They shall be afraid of you, and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of the ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So you shall not turn after aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And he begins to read off in these next verses, verse after verse after verse after verse of cursing and cursing and cursing. Look down at verse 31. We'll just skip skip to this one and see uh, see a portion here. Verse 31. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you and you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long and there shall be no strength in your hand. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall only be oppressed and crushed continually, and so you will be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. Look down at verse 36. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods wood and stone, and you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations where the Lord will drive you. In other words, saying, hey, remember what happened to Israel? Wow, boy, those guys used to be really something. Look what they are now. Yeah, they'll sit around the dinner table and talk about how God smashed Israel. They're going to be like a little proverb, a little byword. Well, in fact, we have those too. You know, we have the phrase you say, well, you know, I had this project going and everything went south. You know where that came from? That's an old idiom from the Civil War. This worked its way into our language. 
the whole southern part of the southeastern United States got, got wiped out and demolished, and there was such devastation, roads and bridges destroyed, and everybody lost everything. It, it, was, it was absolute destruction. And so if you had some work project going and, and everything was going bad, it, it can't even know, well, it went south. That's a byword. We still have it in our language today, even though people don't really know where it all came from. God says to Israel, if you don't obey my voice, if you don't obey me, then he said, you're going to be like a byword. They're going to say, well, I had this project going, but it, it, all, it all kind of turned into Israel this week. You're going to be like this little problem. I mean, everybody's going to talk about how, how bad things have gotten for you. And look down at verse 47. Fascinating here. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. He will put a yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. They will eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. And all of those things happened simply because they would not repent. And there are several ways when you think about this circumstance here in uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, several ways that we could, we could describe what was happening there. Distress. Always, always troubling distress. Devastation. Destruction. Discouragement, meaning nothing ever goes well. Disease. God said there'd be all kinds of diseases. Drought. Defeat in battles and wars. Disappointments. Domination by other nations. A joke to other nations. A decline in wealth. I don't know if the wheels are turning in your mind, but as I was thinking about this, wow, this, this guy's starting to sound familiar. Distress and devastation and destruction and discouragement and disease and drought and, and defeat and disappointments and domination by other nations and decline in wealth and, and debt. Remember he said earlier there in, in the chapter, you'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be above and not beneath if you'll obey me. You'll lend, but you won't borrow. Do you realize that the United States of America, according to the government's numbers, is now $29 trillion in debt? $29 trillion. When Carol and I were newlyweds, back uh, 42 years ago, the government just hit its first trillion in debt. 42 years ago. Now we're a trillion, not a billion, a, a trillion. The national debt is now $29 trillion. A third of it we owe to China. And an accountant I was just reading this week said, if, if, if the unfunded liabilities are included, and what they mean by unfunded liabilities are things that the government has promised to pay people over the next 10, 20, 30 years, be Medicare, Social Security, government pensions, things of that nature, uh, the civil service pensions, all of those kinds of things. 
If, if, if you count in the unfunded liabilities, all the promises have been made that there's no money to pay from, there's actually, we're about $133 trillion in debt. The amazing thing is there are other nations all over the world who are in the same kind of condition. And I thought as I was reading through that, oh boy, I said, you know, I, I just wonder if maybe the world is being prepared for some catastrophic judgment. Food for thought. And at this point, you might say, well, okay, Larry, okay, but hey, th those passages were written to Israel. You are correct. Those passages were written to Israel. But let me show you a, a verse here in the book of Psalms in chapter 9. Believe it or not, we'll be in Daniel here in just a minute. And that's just the conclusion, but I, but I, I don't have another 45 minutes in Daniel today, okay? Don't panic yet. Psalm 9. Wait just a second, I hear the pages turning. Okay, this is a psalm of David. As many of you may see in your heading there, Psalm 9. Begin, let's begin to read in verse 15. Psalm 9, verse 15. The nations, not the nation of Israel, but the nations, plural, the nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. In the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. And then verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So you see those two parenthetical statements there. Verse 14, the nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made. And the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. We won't turn to it, but another verse for those of you who like to take notes or look things up later. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14.34 Sin is a reproach to any people, not just the nation of Israel. And here in this passage, the nations, all the nations of the world, they have sunk down in their own pit that they've dug. And all the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. So is, is there an application for us, for our country, for our state and local governments? I, I believe that there is. The principle of national judgment for sin for nation states, as we call them today, and for people groups, ethnic groups, national judgment for sin is well documented in the Old Testament. And not just for the nation of Israel. Are we as a nation under the judgment of God? I believe that we are. For some reasons that we have discussed in the past, I could list three or four or five reasons right off the bat now. I won't just for the sake of time, but are, is our nation under the judgment of God? You read those passages in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, and man, does it sound familiar of what they are doing. And then you, and then you see what, what David writes in the Psalms. All the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. And I can't help but believe that our nation is under the judgment of God. Thinking of the stages or the progression of judgment 
at those five stages we talked about in Leviticus. I, I don't know exactly where we are on that scale, but I'll tell you, we're on the path. Distress, devastation, destruction, discouragement, disease, drought, military defeats, domination by other nations, decline in wealth, overwhelming debt. Will we see the kind of devastation that Daniel lived through? Only the Lord knows. But as we have already seen, I want you, I, I kind of want to wind up with these thoughts here. Daniel's response to God's national judgment on his nation was faithfulness. Was faithfulness to God regardless of his personal situation. When, when, when Daniel lived through the siege of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and saw all the destruction and all the death and gets marched off as a slave to Babylon to serve in this idolatrous king's court, he doesn't say, well, if God do that to me, I'm done with him. He didn't do it at all. Daniel endured the, the national judgment of God on his nation and he was faithful regardless of his personal situation. Kind of reminds me of Job. Job 13, 15. You know the phrase, we've quoted it many times. You know the story of Job. Where, where Job, is, I mean, he's been totally wiped out. Lost everything. All his kids are dead. All his life. He had 11,000 head of livestock. All gone. Everything's there. Now his health is gone. And his wife says, I mean, look what God's done to you. His wife says, just, just curse God and die. And Job gives that marvelous statement, Job 13, 15. He said, no. He said, he said, my dear, I don't know if he called her my dear. He probably didn't that day. He said, you're speaking like the foolish women speak. He said, even if God kills me, I will still trust him. Boy, that's, I'll tell you, that, that's faith. And, and, and Daniel had that same kind of heart. That, that in the midst of that horrible, horrifying marching of 500 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon, he marches through the desert as a slave, as a captive, knowing that behind him the temple's been destroyed and his country's been laid waste and, and thousands of people have been killed. He's still faithful to God. He, he accepted the national judgment of God on his people, and he still remained faithful to God. And I want to wind up our thoughts this morning by looking at, at, at a verse in Daniel chapter 4. I know you started in Daniel, and then I kind of waylaid you and had you turn to Leviticus. But go back to Daniel chapter 4. We'll be studying this passage in greater detail in coming weeks. But for this morning, I want to share with you something that Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar. You may be familiar with this passage. It's a tremendous section of Scripture. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream which he called Daniel to interpret for him. It was a dream of God's coming judgment on Nebuchadnezzar because of his arrogance and his self-sufficiency, not realizing that God rules and performs His will in the kingdom of men. And, and, and so Daniel, here in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He knows Daniel can interpret it. He calls Daniel... Daniel, you know, he tells him the dream. Daniel is upset. He's astonished. Nebuchadnezzar says, says Daniel actually calls him by his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, don't, don't, don't be upset. Tell me what the dream means. And Daniel basically tells him, oh, my Lord, the king, God's going to turn you out and he's going he's to make you go crazy. 
and you're going to crawl around in the ground like a cow and eat grass and your hair's going to grow long like eagle's feathers and your fingernails are going to grow long like claws and, 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 you are, and you're going to be out of your mind until you admit that God is the ruler of the universe, not you. And, and Daniel tells him flat out what's, what's, what's going on. And then look at verse 27. This is our verse. Daniel 4.27 Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Picture this with me. Here's Daniel, probably in his 20s, maybe he might be 30. He's standing in front of the most powerful man in that region of the world at that time. A man who had the power of life and death over hundreds of thousands of people. A man whose word was law for his entire empire. And Daniel stands in front of Nebuchadnezzar, who could snap his finger and have Daniel killed if he wanted to. And he tells him of the coming judgment of God on him, and then he advises him to acknowledge his sin and repent. Perhaps God will delay his judgment and, and extend his days. First thought, when I think about it, I said, boy, wasn't Daniel a gutsy guy? You talk about courage in the face of potential death. As he stands before this king who could just wave and say, kill him, I don't like his interpretation of my dream. And he not only interprets the dream and tells him exactly what God says, he says, oh king, please take my advice, repent. Maybe God will lengthen your days. Of course, we know he didn't. The verse, first phrase of verse 28 says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And in a few more weeks, when we get to chapter 4, we'll be looking at all this in, in detail. But just, but you know, given Daniel's upbringing in the things of God and his spiritual character, I am quite convinced that Daniel was very well aware of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He was well acquainted with God's warnings about blessings and cursings. He had witnessed firsthand the national judgment of God on his people. He understood exactly what God was warning Nebuchadnezzar about, and he understood that the only remedy, the only cure to avoid the judgment of God is to repent, to change your mind, to change your heart, to change your life. That is the only remedy. You know, the great Old Testament verse on repentance, we actually looked at it when that one, or I made reference to it when we did our Proverbs study a, a few months ago. Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. It's a great Old Testament verse on repentance. You cover your sins, it's not going to go well. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Mercy, Proverbs 28, 13. You and I may not have any control over God's judgment on our nation. We can't do much of anything but pray. When an election comes, we can vote. That's about all we can do is pray and vote. If we still continue to have the opportunity to vote. A lot of people in the world can't even vote. All I can do is pray. Maybe they pray more seriously than we do sometimes. That's the only weapon they've got. 
And we may not have any control over God's judgment on our nation, but we certainly can personally repent of our sin and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can, like Daniel, we can, if you know the Lord is your Savior, we can accept the judgment of God on our nation and we can still remain faithful and loyal to Him. That's what we will need to do. And may God help us to do exactly that. Regardless of the judgment of God on our nation, may God help us to remain faithful and loyal to Him. Let's pray. Lord, you know, these are troubling times. We don't know where it's all going. I know lots of folks are just sort of happily going through life, not really paying any attention to the world or all the geopolitical issues involved, and maybe they just kind of have their head in the sand and don't see what's coming. Lord, we who look around and read and observe and don't want to be ignorant of the times and the seasons, as the Apostle Paul said, And we see great trouble on the horizon. We see a nation that has forgotten God. We see people who have forgotten God, turned their backs against Him, living all sorts of ungodly, wicked lives, and and not even giving one single thought to, to what God may think or feel or believe or say. And Lord, as we look at Leviticus and Deuteronomy and look at... Psalm 9, and we see these very serious warnings from the sovereign Lord of this universe. The nations that forget God will be turned into hell. And Lord, we see it happening. And although it grieves us, gives us great sorrow, Lord, I pray that you will give us courage like Daniel, courage like Job, Faithfulness to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, to speak his word as Daniel stood as a young man before Nebuchadnezzar, told him exactly what his dream meant, pleaded with him to repent. Maybe God would lengthen his days. Lord, help us by the way we live, by our lifestyles, by our words, by our actions, by the way we treat others, by our commitment and dedication to Jesus Christ. Lord, may we stand for Jesus in these days, regardless of what our personal situation may be, regardless of what our personal situations may become. I pray, Father, that we will, as Daniel, be faithful and loyal to you to the very end. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.